when you're an adoptee, you're doing it essentially alone. Uh, you, you know, like we have our community and everything, but day to day, I mean, I'm, the people that I'm surrounded by are not other adoptees. You know, they're they're people who are just we don't get it. interview today as always um Colombian Influence is you know an adoption podcast where we talk about adoption and how it affects us both as individuals as a group as Colombian adoptees as international domestic all adoptees everything um but today we're going to be speaking with uh Darwin which we how did you get acquainted with him on Instagram I was just about to say, this is one that neither of us have met or known him. We don't have yeah, a personal tie, yeah. Yeah, on Instagram, I just, I have no idea how I came about his profile, but he was very um, outspoken about Colombia and adoption and his reunion at this point, which you guys will hear in the interview. But it was just one of those community ties that I'm just like, we just need to keep getting more and more people and people from Colombia. And it, it just kicked off right away. I have no idea how it started, but we just love those. And we just love adding more people to our community and adding us to their communities because, you know, essentially we want it to be all one big community. Mutually beneficial. Yeah. Yes. So we have, we've spoken to Darwin already. Like Erica said, we just kind of connected via Instagram, which I didn't realize, I know you had mentioned when you were just, you and I were chatting about it and you were like, oh, I think I know his brother or whatever. And I didn't realize that you meant like biological, like they're related, related. Not, yeah. I thought it was like, I didn't ever, I don't think there was ever a circumstance where I put anything together because there wasn't like, I didn't have an idea. But basically what we'll talk about with Darwin is his, uh, his reunion and everything with um, biological, you know, siblings and he does very almost immediately use the term first family, which I love that term. So, I do too. I've uh, never heard that. But yeah, he uses that and mentions that one of his one of his biological siblings who was adopted lives in Minnesota, and that's who Erica's been acquainted with at one point. Which Yeah, we went to the culture <laughs> camp together, so I knew him for a long time. But I haven't seen anyone from there for probably well no I haven't seen really anyone from there for like 10 years yeah so yeah just you know the reunion in itself is something that's new to him and it's just crazy how journeys of adoption is ongoing as we say in this interview it's Mm -hmm. not just ending at the baby it's lifelong for adoptees and adopted families I I say and the whole triad Mm-hmm. Well, e- easily, especially in this situation, it's like it's now a growing relationship between 
his first mom, you know, his bio mom, these siblings, like it's a, there's a lot of layers to this interview. So we might as well just get into it. So uh, everybody enjoy. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Colombian Influence. We are so excited to be starting um, another interview with a fellow adoptee. So welcome, Darwin. Hey, how's it going, everybody? We're going to be chatting with Darwin today about his adoption story. So why don't we start off with just a little bit about yourself, where you're adopted from, where you live now, and how old you were when you were adopted. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I was born in Bogota, Colombia, um, on September 5th, 1989. And I spent the first three months of my life in uh, an orphanage called Fana in Bogota. Um, and yeah, I live in Queens, New York. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm a, a currently out of work bartender right now. So if anybody, if you know anyone who's hiring, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm a part-time artist, full-time dog dad, and um, I'm just you know trying to make it one day at a time. We get that. Well, dog dad is a is a full-time job for sure. It's an important title. <laughs> yes, he's a very finicky miniature poodle, so he has a lot to say about everything. Oh, cute. We need pictures after this, please. Yeah, Yeah, please. That is required. (laughs) So so you live in Queens right now. Is that where you were, I guess, adopted to, if that's what we want to call it? Okay, so I grew up in uh, Jersey, like right over the river, though. So um, when I moved out of my dad's house, it wasn't much of a move. (laughs) Gotcha. So you said you grew up in Jersey, you live in Queens now, um, and that's where you, like, in Jersey was where you grew up? Like, that was your whole... Yeah, Jersey, and, you know, like, I, yes, um, and, okay. uh, yeah, but I've, I've spent a, a good, a good portion of my life exploring the, the city, and so, like, it's also home, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, and, and in Queens, there's, like, Specifically, there's a really, really huge Colombian population as well. So uh, I feel at home here in that sense. That's good. I guess just give us a little bit of your background on your bio parents. Um, Obviously, for Colombia, it was a close adoption. Have you done a search? Kind of give us all the deets on that. Okay, so uh, yeah, so I actually very recently found um, a good chunk of my first family. Uh, very, very thankfully, um, I, so I'm in reunion with my mama, uh, my baby sister, my big sister, and my baby bro- one of my baby brothers. Um, we're still in the process of searching for one of my uh, younger siblings. Um, and we, you know, we're looking for him every day, but uh, everybody else, yeah, it's, it's been a, a really insane journey getting to know those members of my first family. Um, and I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know your specific ages. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 32 years old and I'm never could have imagined any of this growing up as a kid, like knowing that these technological advances played such an enormous role in 
these reunions. Growing up, I like I never knew anybody who ever met their family. Now I'm like it's just everywhere, left and right. I meet adoptees who. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how did you come in reunion? Were you searching first and then others were searching at the same time or kind of how did that timeline work? It's a crazy story. Actually, my, I, my baby brother had reached out to me uh, via ancestry because our wow. DNA matched and he knew about it. Because, yeah. He read the results and was very on top of, uh, his shit and I was not so almost like two years went by and I didn't check my messages and he had sent me uh, two messages and was like hey Azel I'm here uh, looking for my family so I that was incredible I didn't know that I had uh, any other siblings other than my older sister I did know about her she was included in my my paperwork because um, she was eleven months older than me when I was when I was born. So um, yeah, I didn't know that I had a baby brother, and there he was. And we found each other. We started getting to know each other. We made a promise to each other that we were going to find our mama within the year. Like we wanted to do that, and um, we didn't. It, it, I don't know. I don't know how we did it, honestly, but we did it. It was just Facebook. Oh my gosh! Facebook and and luck, yeah. And is your baby yeah. brother in Minnesota? He is. He's from Ayudame. Yes. I think I know him. <laughs> That's it's it's so weird because I do. I talk to some other like adoptees who are from like Ayudame or just live in in Minnesota, and a lot of them are from Ayudame. Um, Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, I've known your brother for years. And I'm like, cool, cool. I I haven't, but... That's uh, so bizarre. Like, I didn't even yeah. think about that this being a thing. Yeah, like that you could literally have siblings right in the States who are just... And you, you don't know it. I, I, don't, I don't know where... Yeah, it's so crazy. That said, okay, so... What do you know about, I mean, probably by this point, you know a decent amount about the circumstances surrounding your adoption versus how many younger Mm. siblings you said that you have? So younger, I have three. um, And then I have one older sibling as well. And they're all adopted? This is on my mama's side. I should also clarify and say that um, I'm aware that... um, my father, for lack of a better word, um, <laughs> was a, was a bit of a philanderer, so to speak. So uh, I do know that there are at least four of us as of the late 80s, early 90s. So I do have a bunch of other little, you know, siblings running around, uh, at least that many. Okay. It's. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Not a great reputation, that guy. But yeah, <laughs> doesn't sound yeah. like it. <laughs> and were you? And were you all adopted? No. Uh, so it, my baby brother, um, whom you know, and I were. And as for my younger sibling, I, I, that we still haven't found yet. My assumption is that y- yeah, they were adopted. Okay. Uh, my, 
my sisters um, were they both grew up with my mama in Colombia. Oh, I see. And this Mm -hmm. is kind of like a new question we're throwing in there just because it's, I'm just curious, like, how does that make you feel knowing you have siblings who grew up with your mom and then you were adopted? I mean, obviously that's loaded, right? Like, cause there's no, you know, there's no, there's no easy way. I, I have grown up not knowing very much. When I was 20 years old in 2009, I went back and I was able to open up my files when I went to my orphanage. And um, at that point, I discovered the information about my older sister. So I did know that I had, and it mentioned that she, that my my mother kept her and that she was present there at the Ogar, in, in, in Fana, like when, all of this was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did find out about that. And that discovery was admittedly very overwhelming. I didn't know how to take that at that point. I, I knew very little much else. So I didn't have any of the facts or additional information to really justify or explain why that what might be sure. and I think the closeness of our age you know like we're 11 months apart like that's very very close um my younger sibling and I didn't discover this until we found um our mama as well but like he is also only a year younger than me hmm. so not a lot of space in between um yeah, I I didn't I didn't know about this, and then and then so yeah, discovering that my baby sister, um, who was born in 1997, then all you know eight years after I was born, to discover that my mama, you know, also raised her as well. Um, yeah, shocking, complicated, um, super super layered a lot of layered feelings but i at the Mm -hmm. end of the day um my bond and my relationship with both of my sisters in individually um oh my god i i love them so much like i would do anything for them uh i'm gonna cry actually not thinking about that i i love them like more than anything so uh Mm -hmm. and 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 i think it's an incredible testament to the person that our mother is that like she raised these two incredible human beings who Mm. just didn't have to be as incredible to my brother and me when we found them. And they just have been, they're amazing. I, every, every, every time I get to talk to them, like I'm just filled with so much gratitude. I'm so sorry. I'm getting very emotional right now for no reason. It's a lot. Don't apologize about that. <laughs> we totally understand yeah. that. And being just being in reunion, all of this is so new to you too. Yeah. That is yeah. something in itself. So definitely cry it out to us. That's why we're here. We love it. We cry to each other all the time. So join the group. No worries. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. No, there have been so oh my god, there have been so many ugly cries over like this entire experience that Jesus, it's like, 
<laughs> when does it end? I don't know. Ever? Right. I don't, yeah. No, probably not. Probably not ever. There's room. There's right. room every day. I got to make a little bit of time, like every day. Yeah, I get yeah. that. So how many times have you been back to Columbia then? Just the once in 2009. Okay. So has your, did you, okay. So no, you, your mama, you haven't met. Right. No, our reunion hasn't officially like bit happened in person yet. Oh, yeah. you, got, you got plenty yeah. more ugly cries to come then. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I know. I already know. Yeah. So, it, um, yeah, we, we found them, um, at, in the beginning of May of 2020. So we found them and then the pandemic hit and it yeah. was basically like there, there's, there's no going anywhere. So, um, it's mm-hmm. definitely given us an opportunity if I'm looking for a silver lining to just like, you know, sort of handle the emotional side of it without it, it just it's sort of being overwhelmed by the physical presence of everything and being in a in a country where you know we don't speak the language as a primary you know a first language um like just all of these other factors it's it's kind of there's a little bit of a reprieve every day that I can, I get to wake up and receive these incredible voice messages from my mama, my sisters, you know, whatever, just, just saying hello to me, um, being silly and just, uh, you know, reminding me that they're waiting for us. And like, mm-hmm. that's, that's cool. Like, you know, I'll, I'll take what I can get for now. <laughs> Absolutely. So, okay. So since you are obviously kind of in the reunion stages, uh, has your birth mom told you a lot about like the circumstances around your adoption? Like, I mean, obviously it's a little, we know a little more, it's a little bit more complicated with having other siblings, but what do you know about like the circumstances that you're willing to share about that? Oh, I know a lot. Um, I found out a lot. (laughs) Uh, so essentially my, um, yeah, when my mama was pregnant with me, mm-hmm. so I was the the second born, right? And this was um, after she had already had an experience with my older sister. Now, my older sister mm-hmm. spent the first three months of her life in Fana um, as well. But my mama was able to go get her back. My mama never intended on giving us up. This was not her intention. Um, These were circumstances that were out of her control, largely due to, you know, just society, um, the the limited resources that we, um, and priority that we place on, like, women's women's health and um, just taking care of our poor and, you know, people who are lacking in resources we don't do a good enough job of that. And that exists around the world. Um, you know, the situation, the situation, basically my mama was working for these people. 
she lived in their home because she was cleaning for them and also minding their children. Um, when my mama got pregnant with me and begged them to be able to keep me in the same way that she finally was able to convince them to let her keep my older sister. Um, unfortunately, they did not relent, and it was a situation where she was forced uh, to to give us up. the The employer um, provided the the drugs to induce my mama's labor. Um, made the appointment for her to go to Fana, and uh, drove drove her there. Um, I was almost had right in the car on the way. It was a very, very like quick situation. So essentially by the time my mama got into the clinic, um, I came out and that was that I was ripped away from her. She was told that she was not allowed to look at me. Uh, she did not listen to their advice. She did wind up, uh, getting up from her bed and going over and looking, taking a look at her baby, but only very briefly. And then that was, that was the end of it. And then, so essentially that story repeated two more times with my younger siblings as well. That's basically kind of what you're saying is reminding me of like something. I can't remember what the, Oh, it was the title was from Rozo to Brooklyn Park, I think was one of our, that was with Kate. And I'm not sure if you've listened to that one, but it basically is talking about just like when it comes from a, like an American adoption to a foreign country, like so much of what you're like, what you know, especially to the detail of it is so rings true to the fact that oftentimes we are orphans of poverty rather than orphans of of actual like parents or like those being the units of being Mm -hmm. orphaned by. And it's like, uh, it's such a, no, it's It's like, were were we abandoned by our mothers or were our mothers abandoned by society? Yeah. Um, a society that stigmatizes, you know, uh, single mothers, exactly. uh, society that, you know, it just hates poor people. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, yeah, and and especially you know if you're a person of color, I mean there there is a there is a very very uh, a long history throughout this country of you know people of indigenous descent being separated from their culture um, and assimilated mm-hmm. into white society. That was a big effort on behalf of our government to it was a, it was a genocidal effort. I mean. There's, there's no two ways about it. And I, I don't, I don't, I'm not here to, to, to mince words when I say this, like, I do believe that all of this is connected to that. I, I do believe that there's, there, these roots are all there. I mean, the, if you look at the, the drug war, that is like a big reason too, right. For a lot of mm-hmm. the relinquishment that took place, especially at a time when I was born, when you all were born, um, mm-hmm. in the eighties, the nineties, these things were funded by our government. You know, these, all of, all of your, your big, like 
your Coke parties at Studio 54 back in the 80s were funded by, you know, the the, the murder of, like, a bunch of people. Like, uh, like it all went towards that. It's, it's the reason for it. There's These things are not isolated incidents. And this is why I'm a very outspoken, like, activist now against just government in general. I'm a very sus- suspicious person of all of the corruption. It's all connected. Yeah, that's such mm-hmm. a, a tough subject because there, there are so many moving parts on that, too. I, I don't know. You can get we can get really deep into that. But <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's crazy. That's for sure. Okay. I was just going to say like with, with that, it just feels very like the more that we've worked on this subject, especially, and just discovering these different stories and how certain things have affected different people and different adoptees from different places. It's just kind of like the patterns definitely start to bring themselves out more and it Mm -hmm. being so, which is, I think, you know, kind of convenient that adoptees haven't really had a platform you know it's just like there is a lot of us that have been Mm -hmm. you know quieted for so long in just the way that you kind of talked about as just it being like indigenous cultures just having just I don't know just kind of obviously it's like weakening a system when it's broken apart the way that it has been and it's kind of convenient you know so that's kind of just like especially from our side of it just the way that we're doing things and interviewing people it's like little snippets here and there and it's like okay this is getting now we're like talking about and processing so many different things because of that that it's like wow this was not what i anticipated going into this original Mm -hmm. passion project and it's now like okay there's a lot more work to be done (laughs) So growing up, were, was your town or where you grew up primarily white? I guess you said there are a lot of Colombians there. So you now fit in in Queens, but where you originally mm-hmm. were brought to, um, you know, your adoptive family. Kind of give us the circumstance yeah. between that. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I did have exposure to people of color. It's not that I didn't, um, but I will say that the proximity um, matters too. I mean, when you only see the people of color at a distance, when it's very clear that they are not in your family's immediate circle in any real meaningful way, mm-hmm. um, just they, they are on the periphery in your life and you yourself make your own connection. You know, I, I always had friends of, every different background, you know, I was fortunate in that I did grow up in a very diverse environment, but, um, were were they, were they seen in, in my, in my home, in, in the homes of my immediate family members? No, (laughs) it was, it was a pretty homogeneous, um, upbringing and that obviously, I mean, that, they're like, that's all on a spectrum too. Cause like you all live in Minnesota. I know that my brother mm-hmm. in Minnesota had a very, had a very different, like kind of limited exposure, um, that impacts him differently. So 
you know, I think that like in, you know, when you, when you grow up like near a, a, a big like metropolitan area where there is like diversity, you, it's like a double-edged sword because you do have access and you have opportunities to run into people with whom you feel like you should have like commonalities and like things in common. And then it's also like, okay, but that's, that also means that you're constantly being confronted with the fact that like, you're not exactly one of them and you're sort of uh, an outlier mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And so it's almost, it's, yeah, there are advantages and there are definite disadvantages, I would say, to it as well. Mm-hmm. That's a good perspective. I never really thought about the disadvantages that could take in, but I totally hear what you're saying on that. That kind of just mm-hmm. makes you feel a little bit more like an outsider, even though you have all of these people who are of different colors and different races. Um, that's very interesting because I grew up with a lot of different cultures around me too. Um, but I never mm-hmm. felt that. So I like that perspective. Yeah, no, it's, it's something that like, I, I think that it's a, it's, it's frustrating because like on one hand, uh, yes, being exposed to that from like, from the time that I'm small is, it should be a benefit, right? Like I have a little bit more exposure to the language and, um, you know, certain just aspects of the culture, traditions and and things like that. But that means that like on a fairly regular basis, I was met with well, why don't you speak Spanish? Mm. Well, why don't you speak Spanish? You should really speak Spanish. Oh, that question. It's terrible that you don't speak Spanish. Yes. I was going to say, when you were were talking about that a minute ago, I was like, ooh, this kind of feels like, I don't know, because like I feel that way with just, it feels like imposter syndrome with basically everything Mm -hmm. because it's like, you're not, like American white, white, like you're not like this, but you're not this enough to be this either. So like, cause Erica grew up in a very different, you know, hometown than I did where I wasn't exposed mm-hmm. to, you know, a lot of diversity. Erica was exposed to a lot, but we still don't ever feel like we're Colombian enough. Like mm-hmm. that was something that mm-hmm. was actually brought to us via DM months ago by someone who was like, I feel like you guys talk a lot about, the fact that you don't look Colombian. And I was like, I didn't really realize it until somebody mentioned it, that I'm like, this is a really big disservice to me and to us because it mm. is giving other people permission to not think of us as real Colombians when we right. obviously are. But I think when it comes to that, it's just being questioned of like, well, but you're not, it's like you're balancing between these two extremes that you're, raised in but then also connect to emotionally culturally physically like so many ways but there's never you're never really gonna be on either side like I said I think that for me is something that I've discovered is more of like an imposter syndrome issue that I'm so confronted by I think now which kind of just with what you said it's like that hits the nail on the head for sure yeah well I think I think like also the whole I think it's the whole concept of that is rooted in like some really deep racism that we haven't even really begun to interrogate. And 
I think like if you've ever seen, have you ever seen a movie? Uh, it's called The Jerk with um, Steve Martin. Oh, I think like ages ago. Yeah, I vaguely recall, but not. Recently. Okay, so yeah, let me just just a bit of background. I haven't seen this movie in a very long time, but um, the the basic the all you need to know is that Steve Martin's character is uh, he was adopted by a black family. So he grows up and the very like opening line, the beginning of the movie, he's talking about how he grew up uh, like a black boy wherever he grew up. I don't remember where, I don't mm-hmm. remember this movie, but I do remember it being referenced often when I was growing up. And oh. so, and it was in the sense that, you know, it, around me and I'm not going to get into why the situation between my family and me is a little bit complicated. Maybe I will uh, in a minute, but <laughs> maybe we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, these, these, these conversations were had. And I remember like it being joked about and mocked that, you know, it's funny that Steve Martin would consider himself a black man. It's funny. That's the joke, right? It's silly. It's meant to be yeah. preposterous because obviously that these things that doesn't rub off on you just because you know you can't be a black man just because you were raised by white people. It was uh-huh. the joke. Now, I was also simultaneously, um, constantly at war with myself and with all of the the messages and subtle and not so subtle mm-hmm. uh, that were given to me by various members of my family and my community growing up telling me that I, I was ridiculous for thinking that I was Colombian, that I was, that I was anything other than what everybody else was around me. How can it be both? How can both of those things be ridiculous unless What's the what's the one difference there? It's that you it's ridiculous. Why, why would a why would a white person want to take on attributes of someone other than something that is white? That's ridiculous. That's the joke, right? That's why that's why so mm-hmm. often you see um, you see a lot of drag drag performances and things like that. It was it was making jokes of women. Let's let's be honest. That that's the that's the root of that, right? You don't see a lot of like drag performers making fun of men. You don't see a lot of women dressing up like men making fun of men. They're they're not making caricatures of these mm. things. It's only funny when you're making a joke about somebody that you're deeming lesser taking on the characteristics of mm. this other person. That's silly. That's funny. That's comedy. And I, I, I don't know, growing up like that set me up in my head, like with this really, really weird, like, I'm just going to say I've been in therapy on and off since I was 14 years old. Like there's a lot of stuff messing with your head and you, like subtle messaging over time, um, paints a really big picture and, um, 
Yeah, kids are always paying attention. So like even the little innocuous like comments that you ever make around your child, they you know, kids are like sponges. They hear everything. I heard everything. And so mm-hmm. when you when you grow up and you're surrounded by a bunch of people who don't they're not even aware of what a what a microaggression is, let alone, you know, just a blatant expression mm-hmm. of, of of racist ideology. Um so Mm-hmm. And identity as an adoptee is already difficult. So to have, you know, this adoptive family who you're mm-hmm. really trying to connect with in a level that's already difficult and hearing those little subtle and maybe not subtle comments. I mean, I could not even imagine trying to figure mm-hmm. out where I belong. Mm-hmm. No. And I, I think that like the notion that love is enough is it's it, it's 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 doing it's doing such a disservice to the entire picture the whole picture yeah. if love is enough for people as long as love is enough as long as people have money cuz it wasn't enough for my mama to be able to keep her kids yep are you not close to your adoptive family then anymore let me say i love we all have to preface right i love my adoptive family I love them. I would protect yeah. them from any anything that were to ever like I I I love and respect them all. I had a difficult time growing up and some of that um some of them have to take some amount of accountability for that, you know. I think yeah that it's uh, probably been the, I think the hardest thing for me like is 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 feeling like there isn't that much effort to figure out what what the issue is and why there isn't closeness and, and all of that like mm-hmm. it's there's just been a lot of silence and I'm like, okay. Like to me in my adoptee brain, that reeks of abandonment. So I'm like, you know what? I'm cool. Like, let me just walk away and do me over here. Like I'm not, I'm not even going to touch that because like, if, if I ever, that's why these conversations are so difficult to have. If I ever actually broach these topics and I'm dismissed on these fronts, um, I can't, I can't, I couldn't handle that, yo. Like, I really couldn't. I would be like, I, like, yeah. Uh, I get that. Yeah. So it's easier For to sure. just kind of like keep my distance and be like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm good. I'm over here. I'm hurting. That's true, but also, like, uh, you can reach out. Like, you can figure it out. Be smart. Like, wh- why Why is it th- that I'm the only person in the family who's not super, like, at all the functions and, like, you know, la, la, la. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, and I we get that, too. And I guess this is for you and for all our listeners. We are we have felt these emotions and a lot of people 
don't have Mm -hmm. groups to talk to. I don't know if in your situation, if you grew up looking on groups, I know Facebook groups and things like that weren't that common until recently. Um, Mm -hmm. So maybe you Mm -hmm. just weren't exposed to that either, but reading the primal wound, we've noticed like parents, adoptive parents have a big job to fill when adopting kids. And they just, they lack that information and, you know, just that resource of trying to understand you. So I, I'm sorry you had to go through that because that's super difficult. It, you know, just again, trying to figure out who you are and by not trying to get hurt either mm-hmm. in the long run, we, know, we understand know. that completely. Yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. sorry that you understand that. That's so true. That's so true. <laughs> Isn't that the worst part of it too? Is just like I am so glad I found someone who understands, but also sucks that yeah, you understand. Like, that's like. sweet. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think like adoptive so community is complicated, like yes, that for sure. <laughs> but it's also like it's the one place where Mm -hmm. I can go. I tried to articulate this to my friend the other day who is not an adoptee, but she listens to all my bullshit. So, uh, bless her. (laughs) She's an angel. Um, and I, I was, I was talking to her about like trying to sort of wrap up the experience and what I think like kind of sums up the one difference, um, that, adoptees and non-adoptees like this this is the one difference that exists between them and it's since forever and it shapes you Mm -hmm. right so like uh, take away the relinquishment trauma and all of all of that when you grow up knowing that you came from somewhere else and so that means you're aware of existence outside of yourself right? Most kids aren't aware of that kind of stuff. Adoptees are. Like, we grow up, like, having an existential awareness from the time that we can, like, ever since we do know about this. And I don't know about y'all, but, like, I've known forever. There was no discussion about it. Mm. I was basically telling my parents, like, I have biological parents somewhere. Like, (laughs) um, and yeah, I think that just sets you up differently. Um, it set me up for wanting to have different kinds of conversations. I think it's one of the reasons that it, it, I really don't like small talk. I never have. Uh, in addition to the fact that I, you know, talking about my family can be super complicated. Um, but also like, Man, I don't want to talk about that. Like, there's so much other shit to talk about. Like, this this is a big world, and um, I I I grew up being really close with one of my one of my cousins, and um, she really hated the, the any any conversation that was large that was about space or like the expansion of the universe time and 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 all of these things and i i like these conversations and i always have and she would always be like i Mm -hmm. i really i hate them and i would be like why and she's like they make me feel too floaty they make me feel really small they make me feel like i'm aware of like you know my insignificance and i'm like hmm i feel Mm -hmm. like if you're not just confronted with that 
maybe early on, that can be really, really terribly scary. For me, that's very natural to ponder. Like, my mind's been in outer space my whole life. (laughs) You know, I've I've been somewhere else the whole time. The whole time I've been here in Jersey and New York, like, I... My mind's been thousands of miles away. That's a really interesting perspective. Cause like, as you're saying it, it's like, I, yeah, you have to like, you think of the grand scheme of things with like where you've come from and everything. And it's like, I feel like in, in those like small talk conversations that you hate and like that, I, I'm realizing I'm like, well, I think it's because it always leads to something that I don't, that isn't Mm -hmm. small talk that I hate about it. Because if I were to mention like, where's the, where's the next place you want to travel? I would probably say Columbia. Like, where are you from? That's a loaded question. What is, what's your family like? Literally all of like, how many siblings do you have? Everything in small talk can lead to those things. So it's like, if I don't say it, then it feels like a lie. And if I do it's leading towards a different conversation i don't think you've i've ever been able to put my finger on why i hate Mm. small talk until now when you said Mm. that because i'm like this is why it's just gonna be Mm -hmm. bigger anyway like why bother (laughs) when when he said Mm. it and you read like he said i'm like oh my gosh yes (laughs) and sometimes i don't want to talk about being adopted like And it's like, I, but there's no way to avoid it. I mean, even if, even if I'm, even if the conversation, if I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to bring it in this direction and just keep it on my adoptive family say, and not even like talk about anything else. It's still like, there's, there's, there's going to be follow-up questions that like remind me that there's a difference between this relationship and, and some other family relationships like it doesn't matter yeah Mm. such a good point i love when we get really juicy interview that just goes in a direction we didn't (laughs) think that is my favorite thing (gasps) anyway where were we i don't even know where to go with this well okay so i guess i want to see about like the just even the basics as far as like Parental structure, siblings in adoptive family. Obviously, we're adopted in the like Jersey area, but do you have siblings that are biological? Yeah, so I actually grew up with an older brother who is my uh, adoptive parents' biological kid. Yeah, he's six years older than me. Okay. <sighs> yes, I have. I, I do. I have an older. I have an older brother. He's. Um, he's. He's still in Jersey. Um, I mean, I, I wish him well in in all of his endeavors and everything. Um, I've never, we've never been very close, and um, I have not spoken with him to be honest in a really long time. I couldn't tell you what he's up to. I have no idea. So I bet that reunion mm. with your little brother was even more special. Cause it was just like, Oh, I do have a brother. And now you connected at a whole different level. You know, it's okay that your relationship with your adoptive family wasn't perfect. I mean, we want to hear those sides of the stories too, because a lot of people and a lot of adoptees have 
not the greatest connection with their adoptive families. And I think that's normal. And that's something to normalize. Also, Mm. it's difficult and you wish it was different, but if they're not putting in the work, you can only do so much because you are going through a lot and Mm -hmm. they need to be able to understand you. Yeah. I mean, and that's the hardest thing is like being able to step back and be like, Oh, you know what? Now, really I do need to take time for me and and just focus on my emotions because what do we do our whole lives as adoptees is we want to, we want to take care of our parents. Like a lot of us, I think like I I know I did, Mm -hmm. I wanted to protect them emotionally at all costs. Um, so Mm -hmm. the, the, there's a tremendous amount of discomfort, um, stepping away from that and, and, away from that protective instinct. I do. I have a very, like, you know, an instinct yeah. to protect them and their their name and, you know, like, all of these things. And the truth of the matter is um, we're all human. We all fail at times. Um, I myself am not a perfect person, and we all have to recognize our limitations um, personally. I struggle really, really bad putting my fishing line on my reel. I, you know, I'm not great at it. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> I do what I can, but it's not, it's not where I, like, it's not my strength. Um, I think that, like, I think it's important, especially for white people, to acknowledge like where your weaknesses and limitations may be if you are parenting a child of color, like. Maybe just mm-hmm. just acknowledging your ignorance goes such a long way. I got to say, because when I was 14 years old and I walked into therapy for the first time and I did not want to. Um, but my therapist, his name was Mike Shagru. Shout out. Um, he was a really cool guy. He was really cool. He just, I walked right into his office and he, he, I took a look at him and he could see how I was looking at him. And he's like, I know what you're thinking. He's like, I'm just some, you know, middle-aged bald white guy. What am I going to tell you about whatever? But he's like, I'm not here to tell you anything. He's like, I'm here to listen to you. And he's like, his acknowledgement of his limitations and, and how I might, you know, view, just view the world in a different way and, and have something to maybe say or think about his perspective. Um, I just, it, it opened me up. It really did. It created, it fostered like a great deal of trust right off the bat. I just think that that acknowledgement, it's so small. It may seem really small, but like the whole notion of, colorblindness which was a big thing growing up um i remember constantly being reminded of like you know i don't i'm not racist i don't see color um okay i don't i don't know i would respect you a lot more if like you were like you know what um I was born in, you know, 1950, whatever, and I'm a white person and I didn't grow up around a lot of different kinds of people. And maybe I don't know everything there is to know about what it might be like to be somebody like you living around here. Let me 
take the time to acknowledge that, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah. And just their willingness to listen seemed to be lacking. And what your therapist could give you, that was just a whole 360 for what you needed. So how do you think adoption has affected your mental health? Like, do you have any run-of-the-mill issues? We talked about abandonment. Um, you know, kind of what's your take on that? Resentment, any of those that are kind of stick out to you? The mental health thing is, uh, like I said, I've been in and out of therapy for like more than half of my life. But, um, I mean, the, the, the closest I ever came to any sort of like diagnosis, my, my therapist and I did talk about, um, complex PTSD, um, back in the day, I, I do have a history of depression and, um, anxiety, things like that. These are, I do think run of the mill kind of stuff that comes along with this and also just being alive. Right. Um, yeah, but like, I think, um, my, I think like, honestly, one of my biggest aversions to therapy as well is like the same, is the same thing. I don't want to open up necessarily about all of, all of these things and really admit how deeply it actually hurts. Um, so I haven't been to therapy in a while and the idea of starting again with somebody new is horrible and I would have to start off, start from the very beginning and then all the way up until now I'm where I'm at. All that small talk. Oh, mm. the, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, besides, I mean, everything that we've kind of talked about, obviously with, um, obviously I always am going to like encourage the like, Hey, love that you're in therapy. That's really tough. Especially as a male appearing person is like, that's, you know, the emotional side of that. I, I can't even imagine like it's different levels of everything. I'm like, I'm really glad I'm not having to do this as a, as a guy and just like having to, you know, navigate through the whole emotional thing Mm -hmm. with the standards that men are given these days. But Mm -hmm. for other adoptees, based on your experience, where you grew up, your age, demographic, everything like that, what kind of advice would you give to another adoptee of like similar background of you like of any type like what kind of advice would you give or I guess more so based on like what you know now probably someone who's either starting the reunion process or like a teenager that's kind of coming into themselves or a kid like anything like that based on what you know now I would say um my 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 biggest advice and I think the best advice I can give is to go into every situation with less than zero expectations. Um, you ne- you have, you, if you know nothing and in most cases we know nothing and even what I thought I knew, mm-hmm. I didn't really know. Um, and some of it was, you know, wrong or whatever. The, the advice is just have no, have no expectations, none. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like be open be open, try to be loving and kind. And that means with yourself also, because I'm going to be honest, like right now at this current point in my life, I'm probably not the best and most available person to everyone in my life. 
Like, I don't think I'm the best friend right now that I've ever been to any of my mm-hmm. friends. I don't think that I'm the best. I, I, I just, I think that like right now I have less of me to give because there is such a tremendous weight um, that has been like redistributed and I'm just trying to figure out how to carry it all. Doing, you know, when, when you're an adoptee, you're doing it essentially alone. Uh, you, you know, like we have our community and everything, but day to day, I mean, I'm, the people that I'm surrounded by are not other adoptees. You know, they're, they're people who are just, who don't get it. <laughs> um, so like any, any conversation that I'm going to have to have with them, I, I need to start at the beginning because if you don't understand the very basics of what I'm talking about, if I say that mm. adoption is a trauma, I got I to gotta start all the way at, at, at square one with you. These conversations are exhausting. So um, yeah. be kind to yourself. And I think Risa and I are both going through that. I know we're putting up a lot more boundaries, just taking care of ourselves mm-hmm. first and understanding what we need because yeah. we're people pleasers. Yes. We love to just make sure everyone yeah. else is okay. Yes. But then you forget about yourself and it's so important until you hit rock bottom mm-hmm. where you don't want to be or have something happen where it really wakes you up. Mm-hmm. It's best to just do that at this time. So people understand that. And if they don't understand it, then they shouldn't be there. But I, I hope your friend group and people around you do understand that because that's super important. Mm-hmm. Also, do you know your sibling's name? Do you want to like shout it out here? Maybe. So what do you know about that? sibling? Yeah. So, yes, um, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, so my sibling was born November 9th, 1990. Um, their name is, or was at birth, John Jairo Vargas. So it's J-H-O-N-J-A-I-R-O Vargas. Yeah. If you want to send us whatever you have, like, Especially like if you wanted to send photos uh, of mm-hmm. yourself and your the sibling that you do know and the others like and your birth mom, yeah. you know, just to kind of be like, you know, to have another visual, you know, that might also catch attention for it. We would love really to help that. in whatever way Thank we can you. to make that reunion for you guys. I guess the last question I can think of, um, what are some things you wish people would realize about adoption? When you. <laughs> wow. This is hard. This is a hard one, actually. I know. Fundamentally, adopted kids, adults, people, um, our brains are wired just a little bit differently because, you know, especially, you know, depending on when it all happened, the relinquishment, when it took place, um, that affected the architecture of your brain it was literally how your brain was built it was it was building according to those very negative traumatic experiences Mm -hmm. it's very strange because i think that like if i told if i if i told if i tell people when i tell people that my mom died my, my adoptive mom died when i was 20 years old and when i tell people that their reaction is rightfully sympathetic right they're like oh you 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 lost you lost a mom that's that's yeah horrible that's a really heartbreaking thing 
I get sympathy and like solidarity. There's, there's, I have a mom too. So like, Oh, that's, that's horrible. Like, you know, but when it's adoption for some reason, it's like people look at it and they're like, well, because they abandoned you, you should just get over that and just be grateful for like the family that didn't. And it's not something that I think you can explain unless you've experienced it. I, I really, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I have a really hard time trying to, to mm-hmm. explain this to people. That's a really good way to put it. Cause I feel like, like you're saying this and being like, it's really hard for me to explain to people. And I was just kind of envisioning me using those words to describe it to someone and without it being someone who's an adoptee on the, like on that other side of it and being able to contribute to the conversation, it would probably be met right. with a, okay, thank you for explaining mm-hmm. that to me. And that's, that's nice. Right. And that's, that's it. effort, you know, that's kind of, mm-hmm. but that's kind of it. Like that's where it stops. And like, that's where I think people lack those kinds of relationships so much. And that's why like mm-hmm. when Erica and I met, I just, we just latched onto each other, just being like, we are in a spot where we, especially me needed to talk to someone about it and needed someone to understand it. And that I think we are now realizing with these kinds of conversations, just with people that we interview, like, I think, okay, here's more people that we just want to be almost like a new family. We're kind of forming Mm -hmm. too in this community of adoption. It's really, really cool. And I think just what you said, people realizing about adoption is just that we're wired a little bit differently from all of the experiences we had to deal with before we were even born while we were being born the moments we were born. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. So thank you for being a part of our community now. Thank you. Oh, no, this was really good. Thank you both. Well, thank you so much for taking the time tonight and just chatting with us. And we appreciate it. Awesome. All right. Thank you both again. Thank you, Darwin. It was so nice to meet you. Bye. Bye. You too. That was our interview with Darwin. Super great. As we said at the end of there, we're just super glad to have him in our community and part of our little group here with Colombian Influence. We are continually growing Make sure to follow us on all social media accounts, uh, Facebook, YouTube, that will have our Primal Wound book club series, um, you know, video content with our studio. Some live episodes are on there. Um, we're on all podcast platforms. Where else, Risa? Well, okay. First of all, if we're not on a podcast platform that you use, please let me know because I try to bring them everywhere that I can I think- and like put ours elsewhere. So... I think they'd Let be lying. We're, we're pretty much everywhere. Anyway, you know where to find us. Until next time.